For the last several months, we have been in the book of Matthew, but on this Palm Sunday, we take a little detour from the gospel, and we will find ourselves in the book of Philippians, chapter 2, verses 1 through 11. In your pew Bible, that's on page 1,827. Did you ever wonder what the significance of palms were on Palm Sunday? I mean, we, we have the kids bring the palm leaves down or palm fronds down, and, and it's, it's just kind of a tradition, right? A thing that we, we do, but there, there's actually a historical reason behind it. If you see, the palms were the symbol of a particular family in ancient Israel before the time of Christ, the Maccabees. The nation of Israel during the period from the last author of the Old Testament to the coming of Christ had experienced slavery and persecution and their nation as a nation had or was under constant attack and many times was either completely removed from their land or under the rule of another nation. And it was about 160 B.C. that the Maccabeans kind of rose up and there was what's called the Maccabean Revolt. And for a short time the nation of Israel experienced a measure of freedom, a community that returned to what they desired, which was a community that reflected what God had commanded them to reflect. But even in that, even in their desire for that community, they fell short of what they truly wanted. A community that worshiped God that was humble before him and that shone as a light to the world. And so it was on Palm Sunday as Christ rode a colt into the city of Jerusalem that the miracles he had performed, the the reputation that he had built went before him. And so the people of Israel came out in droves and they pulled palm branches down from the trees around them a symbol of a ruler that was to come. And they threw it in the path before him. And many, we are told in the Gospels, took their very cloaks off and paved the road for the one who they thought would come as a reigning king to reestablish the nation of Israel and to reestablish their community and free them from the bondage of Rome. Little did they know that their idea of a king, their idea of a community, was very different from what Christ came to truly establish. For they saw a king who would reign on a throne, who would establish them again as the chosen of people, people of God, and everyone would know it. They would be on the inside of his community. They would be the ones leading the world finding prominence. And yet we know when Christ came, he came not to sit on a throne, but to hang on a cross. Not to be served, but to serve. That was the type of community that he came to build. The community that we need is not always the community that we want. Because as broken people our understanding is distorted. 
But even as Christ came to establish a particular type of kingdom, so the Apostle Paul takes up that message. And to the Philippians, he writes about the kind of kingdom that Christ came to establish and the community, the characteristics of what that would look like. And so in chapter 2 of Philippians, he writes to the Philippians about a community for others. Or as I would like to say, a community turned inside out and upside down. If you would read with me from Philippians. If you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, if any fellowship with the Spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and purpose. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility consider others better than yourselves. Each of you should look not only to your own interests, but also to the interests of others. Your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus, who being in the very nature of God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself nothing taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Pray with me. Father, you came to this earth in the person of your Son to establish your community on earth to redeem and restore the brokenness of the community that we experience around us so that we might experience the beauty and the glory and the wonder of true community. A community focused on others because of the example of how Christ focused on others. Christ, we ask as we come to your word that your spirit would enliven our hearts to hear your message that your gospel would go forth and penetrate our hearts and our souls, that our community might be redeemed by you and by the radical nature of your gospel. For it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. You get tired of putting on a facade, having to go to work and act like everything's okay, showing up your friend's house for a party and feeling like you need to be the life of the party because that's what people have come to expect of you. Not having anyone to truly share the heartaches and the hard things in life with. Having to always feel like you have it all together because it always seems like everybody else has it all together. Do you ever want a community where you can come and be yourself and know that other people are watching out for you. That they deeply and truly care for you. And it doesn't matter how broken you are. 
It doesn't matter the pain and the difficulties that you're going through in your life. You know when you come there that you will find love, you will find healing, you will find restoration. The reality is we all look for this type of community. We look for it in a lot of different ways. The decline of social communities as we have understood them, at least in American culture over the last several hundred years, has occurred rapidly in the last several decades. And in its place has risen other forms of community, or at least other mechanisms that we use to seek community. They go by the name, oftentimes, of Facebook.com, Instagram, Twitter. We involve ourselves in these things. Why? Because we want community. It's a need that we all have, and, and yet you find yourself all day long pulling your phone out of your pocket and checking Facebook to see, do I have an update? Is there something new? Has somebody else posted something? Have I gotten any likes on this post? Ha, ha, has somebody else tried to friend me? Because even though we have that constant influx of information, for some reason, it's not satisfying. It's more like a drug. That the more we consume it, the more we find ourselves to be empty. The reality is that there are many communities, many forms of community that are like that. It's not just about social media. But in many ways, the communities we find ourselves in leave us lacking, leave us wanting more because they don't fulfill the deepest desires of our heart. They don't meet us in our brokenness. But Paul, in the book of Philippians, gives us a picture and gives us instruction on what true community is, a community that is for others, a community that fulfills, a community that strengthens a community that is the community we really need. But we have to understand something before we approach Paul. We have to understand the backstory behind what Paul is going to tell us. It's kind of like in Star Wars, when you watch episodes 4, 5, and 6. Right, you, you know there's something more. You've heard that there was supposed to be a trilogy that came beforehand, but you're not quite sure what the backstory is. But throughout the episodes 4, 5, and 6, you get a vision of what the backstory might entail, and you start putting pieces together. And, and then, of course, we all know the famous saying that gives us tremendous insight into the backstory that underlies those episodes when Darth Vader looks at Luke and says, you have a sister. Oh, and by the way, Luke, I am your father. And things start making sense. And we can put pieces together. And we understand so much more. There's a backstory behind what Paul is going to tell us about community, and that backstory is the story of the fall of humanity. You see that the, the community that we experience is a community right now that is turned inwards on ourselves because of our brokenness. Because in history past, humanity rebelled against the God who gave them perfect community with themselves and chose to go their own way. 
And in doing so, we experience a universal brokenness of sin. We feel it and we know it each and every day because as we look out at the world and we see the community of the world, we say, something's not right. This isn't the way it should be. And we look at our nation and we say, there are things that are not right. Justice does not reign. Peace is not permanent. Something is wrong. Our community is broken. And we look at our community around us, our friends and our family, and the strained relationships or the broken relationships, the the things we want fixed, and we say there is something that is wrong. It is not right. It's broken. Unless you cover your eyes and put your head in the sand, it is hard for us to deny that we're broken people, that our communities that we experience are broken. You see, like all good things, our sinfulness, our brokenness distorts the goodness of community. I think of an illustration of community that that for me typifies the brokenness that we experience in community. In the 70s, there was a man named Jim Jones, who was a rather charismatic fellow, but also terribly broken himself. And if you know the story, you will know that Jim Jones gathered a group of followers around him and started an organization called the People's Temple. And it started out with some religious undertones, but rapidly moved into his personal crusade to bring about really a political solution to what he thought America and the world needed. And after being rejected in California and San Francisco, ultimately he decided that the answer was to start a perfect utopian community. And so he went to Guyana, South America, and purchased some land and started what was called Jonestown. And nearly 900 people moved to Jonestown into a community not that brought the peace that they were looking, but actually began to degrade them as humans, working all hours of the day and night, losing their own personal identity into the collective identity of the community, being trained to commit suicide through mock suicide practices, And word leaked out what was going on, and the family of those who had escaped the community began to call on the government of the United States to take action to help them. And so then Congressman Ryan from California decided he would go to Jonestown and investigate. And so he went with a CBS News crew, and they went to Jonestown, and they talked to those people, and They've experienced hostility from that community towards themselves, and ultimately they escaped out of that area with 12 defectors. And they went to the airport, and they were climbing aboard the plane to fly back to the United States, and a group from Jonestown came with guns and began to fire. And the congressman was murdered on that airstrip and also multiple others. And after that was done, the group went back to Jonestown. And Jim Jones said, as a community, we must escape. We are the perfect community, and so therefore we must rebel against the establishment. And we must commit suicide as a group. And all the children 
And the women and the men who were there were given cyanide-laced Kool-Aid. And they gave it to the children first, and then to the parents. And Jen Jones said, We are one. Lay down, be at peace. And nearly 900 people commit suicide in that one afternoon. See, community is distorted by our brokenness. This is a clear and overwhelming example of the brokenness that community, community can experience. But we experience it in our own communities, we experience it in ourselves, because our community is not turned outwards towards others, but it's turned inwards on ourselves. Even though our community may not be like that of Jonestown, in our own communities, we ourselves propagate the brokenness of our communities. Sometimes we do it because we use community as our own self-validation. We think that the community is enough to give us the value that we so long to know in our lives. Not the value of things, but, but to know that we ourselves as, as people are valued. And so we join a community for self-validation. And in that, maybe we actually begin to build our identity on that community. And then something happens. Somewhere along the way, we offend somebody in that community and we find ourselves on the outside. And all that we were, that whole identity, all that value that we found in the community is washed away. Or maybe it's not self-validation that we try to seek in a community. Maybe it's actually self-promotion. I was reading online this week, and a 22-year-old girl wrote this about Instagram and the community that she has there. I use Instagram just to give people a glimpse into my life. And I like that I can show the parts that I want them to see and make them think I have a cooler life than I do. I like having that kind of control. Sometimes we join a community, we become part of a community just so that we can look good. We can promote ourselves. We can put forward the facade that we are good, we are great. Look at me. And it's a mentality that's turned inward, a narcissistic mentality, but also a mentality that gives way and proves that there is something more that we desire out of community, something more that we need. There is a need not fulfilled by that type of community. Community also becomes self-excluding. We join a community because of our common experience, the experience that we have with those other people that other people outside don't have. And it makes us feel accepted, but it excludes others. You know, we experience here in St. Louis, there's, uh, there's days during the springtime and into the summer when If you go past a Metrolink station, all you will see is a sea of red and white because the Cardinal Nation has gathered and is going to Bush Stadium. And there's this great community that we have, right? It seems like there's a happiness and a joy as everybody's going down. 
And everybody is talking about what's going on with the players and, and who's injured and what chances do we have and, and who's doing really good this season. And, oh, the Cardinals are great here. And, and there's this, this great community. And we get to the stadium and, and there's no political divisions there. there. There's not black and white. It's only red and white because we're the Cardinal nation. We have a common love, something in common. It's called the Cardinals. But heaven forbid if you should be wearing something other than red and white. Because all of a sudden you're not part of our community. You're not part of the cardinal nation. That commonality all of a sudden evaporates. And all of a sudden people are outside of the community. We experience that in other ways. You know, my, my two brother-in-laws on my wife's side, both great guys, Mike and Grant. And uh, Mike and Grant have something tremendously great in common with one another, something that I will never have in common with them. You see, both of them are former Navy SEALs. I have sat in my basement with a beer in one hand, kicked back talking to them, listening to their stories and what they have gone through and and the struggles and the difficulties and their stories of being in Afghanistan and having people fire at them and putting their life in harm's way. And, and they make some of those things so funny and I laugh and it's great and we enjoy it and I'm having time with my brother-in-laws. But, but I will never be part of that community. I don't know what it's like to put my life on the line with my brother-in-laws. They have a bond, a community that I can never be part of. I'm on the outside. See, community is broken because of our sinfulness, and yet we still feel that common need of community. Even though it's broken, even, even though we experience the dark side of community, we, we still need it. But we need more than community. You see, if community is broken, then community is not sufficient enough to fix our brokenness. Rather, our brokenness infects the community that we are part of. We need something more. And so Paul speaks to us here, and he gives us the answer to what we need. For in verse 1, he says, If if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ. You see, building our identity on a community is something that can be destroyed very easily. But building our identity on Christ is the source of true community. For we find our identity in the person who created us and intended good for us, and yea, even the person who himself created community. And here Paul says, if there is any comfort from his love, ponder with me a moment the love of Christ. In community, that is what we are seeking. Love. Not a superficial love, but a deep love, unconditionally. One that doesn't come and go, but one that reaches down to the very depths of our brokenness and picks us up in its arms and says, I love you no matter what. In Christ, we are loved this deeply. But love is not the only thing that we need. It's not the only thing that we desire. 
is not the only thing we run to community for. We also run to community for acceptance. But here Paul says that if there is any comfort from his love, any fellowship from, with the Spirit, when Paul uses that terminology, he refers to our engrafting into our adoption into Christ, into a family, a family the likes of which we have never been a part of before. To have fellowship with the Spirit is to be accepted fully accepted. No part of us rejected, but all of us received into a relationship with our God. Not only do we run to community for love and acceptance, but we run to community oftentimes because we want to be known. But we find ourselves putting our facades up But deep in our hearts, what we really want is we want people to know us in our brokenness. We want to feel the relief that we're not alone. And Paul says that in Christ there is tenderness and compassion. My friends, the only way that there is tenderness and compassion is if we are truly known. Known down deep. The beautiful side of us, the loveliness and the unloveliness of us. That is the kind of knowledge that our Savior has of us. And yet together, all three are beautiful, for we are loved deeply, we are accepted fully, we are known completely. This is your identity. I've heard the story from this pulpit before, and maybe you remember it, about the orphan girl who had been passed from foster home to foster home. See, she had a problem. She was extremely insecure. And because of that, every night when she went to bed, though she tried, she stopped drinking water at 7 o'clock. She didn't drink anything more than she could throughout the day, yet every single morning she woke up and she had wet her bed. And those people who took her in for the first couple days, they knew it and they thought they could handle it and that was fine. But after the first month and the second month, In the third month, every morning, getting up, having to do the laundry, the same routine over and over and over and over again, it just got to be too much. Something that seemed so small, they couldn't deal with it. And so they passed her on to the next family, and the next family, and the next family. And one day she landed in the home of a wonderful lady. The kind of lady that we all want to have as our mother. And she had made room up for this girl and she told her that she loved her and that she wanted her to be in this room and to know that this room was always hers, no matter what happened. And so she went to bed as normal in the morning and the little girl, when she got up the next day, sure enough, she was soaking wet and cold. And she began to cry, and she began to try to strip her bed down and to change her clothes. And and down the hallway, she heard the steps. And into the room came her foster mother. And she began to cry. And she said, I'm sorry, I'm so sorry. I didn't mean to. Please, please, don't send me away. And the lady smiled, and she said, Honey, don't worry. It doesn't matter. 
I'll never send you away. I love you. I accept you for who you are. It's okay. And the little girl didn't believe it. And so the next day, the same thing happened. And again the next day, day after day until the first month had gone by. And the second month and the third month. And finally the little girl began to realize and to believe that someone could love her that deeply. Know her that completely and accept her that fully. You see, this is the reality of community, that when a community is built on people who have that identity, then the community is not turned in on what they want, what they are going to get out of community, but now it is turned outwards because they have received that which their heart truly desires and they now can reach out to others. The community is now turned outwards. You see, the community which seemed like it was for everybody else, through their identity in Christ and our identity in Christ, becomes the community for the others, us, who have been put outside of the community. And it's that community then that truly does become the community for all others. All other forms of community are built on something that does not extend all of creation. But the community of Christ is a community that is built on something that we all have in common, our brokenness, and is built on that which is the solution for our brokenness, redemption in Christ, identity in Him, love, knowledge, and acceptance in relationship to a God that will never turn from us. Paul calls us, though, to a true community. He calls us to a community filled with humility. He says, Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility consider others better than yourselves. Humility is not something in our society that we often look on as a virtue. We, we give lip service to, us, to it, but, but oftentimes we, we say, Yeah, that, that's good, but there's other virtues that we want. There was uh, two kids... Uh, a boy about eight years old and his sister about six. And as kids are wont to do, they, they try to build a pecking order in the family. I, I think this is true. I don't know from experience. I don't have four kids that do this at all. But the, the brother one day decided that he was going to exert his authority. And so he went to his sister and he said, um, Janie, uh, I just want you to know that, that, that I'm the boss and uh, you're nothing. And he was expecting Janie to respond, but she didn't. She just looked at him. And, and so he thought, hmm, well, I'm going to make my point. So he said, Janie, I want you to know that I am the boss and you are nothing. And again, she just looked at him. And he said, hmm, Janie, I am the boss and you are nothing. And Janie looked at him and said, big deal, boss over nothing. You know, oftentimes, though, we can get the idea that humility means that we are nothing. That we have no value. That it means other people are going to rule over us and that somehow our value as a person has evaporated. Right? But 
But that's not the intent here. Paul recognizes that in Christ we have a great value. If there was no value to us as human beings, then for what purpose did Christ come to this earth to die on the cross? But there is value. Humility doesn't mean that you are nothing. Humility means that you place others before yourselves. In the confidence and security that you are loved in Christ. Paul says, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. The two things that we struggle with most when it comes to humility. Selfish ambition. Maybe you say, well, I'm not really that ambitious in life. We all have ambition. It may look differently. In the education world, maybe it's, you know, to be a very, very good professor so that everyone comes to you to ask your opinion. That's your ambition. You want to be the one who has the answer. Maybe in your office it's, it's being the one who knows the most about your business. And so when people want a problem solved, you're the first person they come to. You've built a reputation that if anybody can get it done, you can get it done, and that's what you want. Or maybe you're a manager, and your ambition is what we typically think of as ambition. To rise to the top. To be the CEO. Vain conceit. We all want to think more of ourselves than what we should. But the reality is, is if we think we are perfect, then we deny the very love and acceptance that Christ says he has for us. We reject it out of hand. So humility is not those things, but humility is a valuing of others first. It is, it is an outward-faced attitude that recognizes that in Christ we are valuable, and because of that, we can value other people. Those people who are broken, those people who offend us, those people who we would rather not come in contact with. Now, because Christ has received us, we are able to reach out to them. And our community becomes a community for others. We reach out and we give without regard to compensation or reward. Christ is the true source of this. For in this, what is called the great hymn, verses 6 through 11, we get a beautiful picture of how Christ did this same thing for us. Though he was God himself, equal with his Father, Paul says he did not consider that equality something to be grasped, something to be hung on to, something to cling to with all his might. But knowing that the Father loved him, he relinquished the glory and splendor that was his in heaven and took on himself the form of a servant. For you see, in all the fearsome majesty that was his in heaven, in all the resplendent glory of his holiness that cannot be pierced with human eyes, he purposed to lay it aside for you and for me to show us what true community is, what it is to be others-focused. And he became obedient and humbled himself even to the death of the cross. What does this look like? This past week, I was at several concerts for my children. And at one of the concerts, my wife and I sat in front of this wonderful couple... And we began to talk to them and found out about their daughter, or we assumed it was their daughter, and they began to tell us this story of this young girl 
Sammy was her name, is her name. And she was up on the stage playing with our son in the orchestra, and they began to talk to us about how she had lived across the street with uh, her grandmother. And they knew both of them very well, and one day Sammy's grandmother passed away, and so Sammy was sent off, shipped off to her extended family down in Florida. And because this couple had been so close to her grandmother and her, they they wanted to keep in touch with Sammy. And so they would call and they would ask to speak with her. And and they would receive an answer that Sammy can't talk right now or or she's out or she's on the run or or we're busy right now. And and they they were shut out. They, They just couldn't get into her life anymore. Through various means, they began to find out that that Sam wasn't actually out. In fact, she really never left the house. Her family restricted her to the house, and she really only left the house when she went to school. And she didn't have the love of her family. But there was abuse. And so this couple did something that was very others-focused. They began legal proceedings obtain custody of Sam. You see, they didn't care what the cost was. They didn't care the difficulty or the hardship of having to go through the legal system. They did not want Sammy to live in those conditions in that community. They wanted her in a loving community where she was accepted, where she was appreciated, where they could act as a mother and father to her. And so eventually she did. She was able to move back to St. Louis, and they obtained custody. And on Thursday night, we got to experience something beautiful, which underscored what they were going through and what they did. On Thursday night, as we were sitting in the orchestra, we got to the very last song, and one of the seniors from the orchestra was going to conduct the last song. And so he came around to take control of the orchestra, and when he did, he brought with him a chair that he put front and center in the middle of the stage, and he asked that Sam come sit in the chair. Sam, a sophomore, came forward, and she was a beautiful young girl, and sat in the chair. And the next thing you know, this senior had skirted off to the side of the stage, and he brought back a big green bag. And out of it, he began to pull boxes of Girl Scout cookies. And you wonder what's going on until he started making all of these clever and cute and romantic little puns about how the Savannah smiles, you know, she had a great smile, and he handed her a box of the cookies. And she's laughing, and the, the whole auditorium is, is, is catching on to what's going on. And then he says, you know, sometimes we can be gross. And he says, we've seen each other gross, but don't worry, you can be minty fresh with me. And gave her a box of Thin Mints. And he did a couple more puns, and then he said, you know, I hope you're not getting tired of these puns because I have Samoa for you. And he handed her a box of Samoas. And then he had the last box, and as he was there, he walked the edge of the stage, and his mom came down and gave him a single red rose. And he turned around, and he looked at Sam and said, Sam, I hope that you will tag along with me to the prom this year. And everyone in the audience roared with applause. And guys, you, you know this, guys were standing up all over that auditorium. They were standing up and clapping and cheering and going, yeah, yeah, yeah. 
And it was so good because as I sat there and knew the backstory and what these people gave to bring her into community, all of a sudden the beauty of what Christian community, what community in Christ is, flooded into my heart. Christ has received us and accepted us. And because of that, we have this type of community that we can experience. Had these people not gone through the difficulty and the sacrifice and given money and time and energy and gone through the heartache to try to rescue this girl, bring her in this community, she would not have experienced the love and the joy of that moment. And so it is with us. If Christ had not come and died on this cross, we would not experience the community faced outwards. Lastly, what time remains. What does this community really look like? It doesn't look like just going to a senior prom, but it looks like the story of Mary Johnson. We have a slide of Mary Johnson holding a picture of her son, Laramian Bird. In 1993, February the 12th, Laramian Bird was attending a party, and after getting into a fight and an argument with another teen, O'Shea Israel, O'Shea pulled out a gun and shot him dead. Mary Johnson says that when she went to the, to the trial for O'Shea Israel, she looked at him and all she saw was a monster. Justice was served and O'Shea was sentenced to 25 years in prison. On the 16th year of his sentence, Mary Johnson decided because of what she was experiencing in Christ, that she needed to forgive O'Shea. And so one day she went to the prison, and she said, O'Shea, you don't know me, and I don't know you, but let's start here and now to know one another. And O'Shea says in an interview that he himself was befuddled by this. He did not understand, and yet she came back day after day, And a year later, O'Shea Israel was released from prison after a 17-year sentence. And Mary Johnson spoke to her landlord in the apartment building that she lived in. And the apartment right next to her, one door jam over, over, was open. And convinced the landlord to allow O'Shea Israel, the murderer of her son, to move in next door. And what happened is what we see in the next slide. O'Shea experienced forgiveness. A community that was founded on the love of Christ, the reality of his forgiveness. And he became like a son to Mary. Not replacing the son that she had lost, but becoming a son nonetheless. And in the last slide that we see, the affection that Mary has for him because she knows of her value in Christ. She knows of the forgiveness she has in Him. And the community that she has is a community that is not only outward-faced, but it is upward-faced. It's turned upside down, lived for the glory of God, for that is the purpose that Christ came, to establish a community where in humility we serve one another, even as Christ has served us, so that in the end, every knee should bow and every tongue should confess in unity that the one who came to give everything he had and everything he was to have us 
is worthy of the praise and the glory of the community that he has established. Let us pray. Father, for this we give you thanks, that you have created a community among us founded on the beauty of the gospel, on the person of your Son, that in him we are deeply loved, we are fully accepted, we are completely known. And it is a beautiful thing because now we might love others, we might know others, we might accept others without condition. For it's in Christ's name that we pray. Amen.